Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the Director of Development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important market updates and how best to benefit from them. And we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities. So to maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download, quote, 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals, unquote. Trust us, this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time. And to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. This is, uh, now we're into the next uh, next 100 episodes. We just uh, had uh, inked our 100th episode. Uh, so now we're on to 101, 102 is coming out shortly as well. So um, it's Brian Castle. I'm back with Mr. Christopher Reardon. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Uh, happy to talk about the markets. All right, and same here. Um, I'm uh, Chris. Let me let me describe Chris. He's our four-star director of development, master of all things portfolio. Loves his Cleveland Indians, caretaker of his Golden Doodle puppy Hudson, and new daughter Avery. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, and I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth Advisors. I'm an Eagle Scout, a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, uh, philanthropic advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to Evan and Quinn, and the um, husband to the amazing Tripti. Um, if you like what we are doing, uh, please give us a five out of five uh, on Apple iTunes. Uh, we're going to start out today with our, our discussion of markets, the economy, and what we see out there. You know, Chris, we've seen some interesting changes in the markets, and uh, it, it seems like money's flowing back to U.S. stocks and then not to the other risky categories like international and commodities and things like that, right? Yeah, we, we've definitely seen uh, some significant changes, especially from the last time we, we've done the podcast. Um, domestic equities, like you said, Brian, it, it did gain five points. So we have seen almost a shoring up of, of the the U.S. Uh, markets uh, from a relative strength standpoint, uh, but the two and three positions, both commodities and international equities, lost. Um, and the biggest loser was international equities in the third position, which lost 21 points. Uh, so it kind of slowed down to 215. Um, you know, some of that could have been uh, in between. We had some news continue to come out of China. Um, you have a lot of supply chain shortages going on. You have um, Oil has been a big concern, especially in that, and gas really in the uh, European European Union. So, um, yeah, you know, we're seeing just a little bit of slowdown there. Commodities in the number two position slowed down; it, it went down four points at two sixty four, so not quite as bad. Um, that's probably even a little bit of moderation um, with even agricultural. There's so many commodities that play in there. Um, we've just seen that decrease a little bit. Uh, and then the bottom three asset classes gained. Uh, fixed income gained seven points. It went to 127. 
cash gained eight points. It moved to 103. So now it's it's surpassed that 100 a level mark. It's back in the hundreds now. And then currencies gained four. So it's in the 54 position. Um, so, you know, I think it begs the question, you know, what does this really mean? And, you know, I don't think as it stands now, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, it means maybe some short, I would say you'd say some short-term volatility in, in international markets. Um, it's promising that domestic equities is going up. Uh, and I'd say commodities, even though it was a minus four number, it still is uh, remaining relatively constant. Um, so, you know, I just think we're seeing some, whether it's geopolitical um, or other kind of news from the global markets that are just causing them to, you know, show some short-term volatility, which is kind of being displayed here. And I think on the flip side of it too, domestic equities, if you guys remember, this is all relative, uh, domestic equities have been doing extremely well. So I think some of this could be, you know, the domestic markets pulling away um, points from the international markets. Yes. You know, it is, it, it, it is interesting. Uh, you know, it's just a quick reversal since our last podcast, but unless we see it continue, then it's not much of a trend. Uh, but money is definitely flowing to U.S. stocks, had been flowing to commodities and international. So this period, we got a little bit of a breather. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, Chris and I were at a dinner the other night, and we spent some time with Dave Dolly, who's one of the managing directors of Matthews Asia. And he agreed to join us on our podcast. So we're going to be hearing from him what's going on in Asia and some of the Asian markets, the, you know, traditionally very strong when the economy grows that you know, all the uh, third, third markets do really, really well, and they grow faster than markets like Europe and, and America, but we'll see. And then we'll hear a little bit why, why there is some weakness in the international markets. And the Latin American market, Chris, is also pretty weak in a couple of, couple of weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah, Latin American markets have also had a slight pullback. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of these, especially from the international front, you know, you have a lot of inflation floating around now. You have commodity prices skyrocketing. So, you know, there's certain or countries that are going to benefit from those, and there's certain countries that are going to get hurt from it. And so Latin America is a great example of countries that have been hurt uh, from supply chain issues and, and inflation. Well, and we've often wondered why anyone would invest in China, because they seem to have command and control uh, uh, responses to anything that, that the administration there doesn't like. Uh, but we did see uh, a softening in the, uh, you know, the terse nature of the Chinese government with regard to that Evergrande com com company that started to implode. Yeah, and I think that's promising. I think, you know, that's been a high tension, uh, I would say a high tension event going on. Um, is is the Chinese government government going to let them default? What, what are they going to do? And uh, their stance has definitely softened a little bit more as late. And I think traders have definitely made that bet. I think some of the property developers over there have gotten a little bit of a bounce in their stock price um, just because they they the feeling is, is that they're going to soften their approach. Um, I don't know what that necessarily means in the end game, uh, but hopefully it won't mean outright default or anything catastrophic that could have major um global market implications if that were to happen. And there, but their economy is slowing down and we saw a really big bump in their PPI, their producer price index, right, Chris? Yeah, and, and that's the other, the big news that came out there. Producer price index rose by 13 and a half percent, which seems extremely high here, but the expectation was 12 and a half percent. So it was still higher than expectations. Um, a lot of this is due to energy prices. Um, you know, there's a thirst for coal there. Uh, they just, 
it's the the energy is the energy crisis really there if you will is really strangling them from a, a price standpoint the producer price side so um, we're really seeing that feed into the the Chinese market and um, you know I don't know what's ultimately going to alleviate it I think that in the short term it's probably just going to stay elevated um, as energy prices continue to ripple through the global economy right now yes well it, it's interesting you know. Um... Now, uh, you know, oil prices have been, uh, you know, rising sharply, and it's just a classic supply and demand thing that's going on here in America, and that's affecting the Chinese economy now. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but President Biden restricted U.S. supply. So um, if you pull out the basic supply demand chart, when supply is restricted and the curve moves to the left, prices go up. Very basic idea. So he's blaming OPEC, and that's not really credible at all. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in the, in the future um, and later in the podcast. Chris, there are a lot of interesting numbers that came out from the economy, inflation, groceries, airfares, all those things. Let's go through that. Yep. Yeah, so um, the biggest news, I would say, on the home front was the inflation number that came out this week. I uh, hit a 31-year high, um, and this is the October number, uh, came in at 6.2% which was, uh, I think, quite a shocker. It definitely sent ripples through uh, the U.S. markets at the time. Uh, the core index, which I think is probably the more important one to look at because uh, that takes out you know, more volatile like fuel um, or gas prices, things like that. It takes out more volatile assets. It was up 4.6%, so still very high there as well. Uh, we really saw almost a broad range of increases, uh, including autos, gas, furniture, rent, medical care, um, food costs, so both um, on the grocery side and the dining out or restaurant side, um, groceries are actually up 5.4% uh, from the beginning of 2021 to October. Restaurants are up 5.3% uh, prices, so a big, big uh, jump there, I would say, on prices. Uh, and on the, the flip side, there were a couple asset classes, actually, or different uh, sectors, I will, it's probably better, um, that did decline and airlines were, was one of them. So airlines actually decreased 4.6% from the start of the year. Uh, so that's really interesting. We're starting to see airlines try to renormalize, uh, try to kind of get their, their flights back on schedule. And that, that's been tough for them. I mean, you know, when you deal with a lot of staff shortages and, and other issues, uh, and then you add in weather and other, you know, things that are out of their control. Uh, that's why we've seen, you know, a lot of flight cancellations. We've seen um, American Airlines, Southwest, a lot of major airlines have had problems. So um, with that, though, um, flights, uh, the cost of flights have gone down uh, since the beginning of the year when they really spiked. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. There's so many changes that are going through the economy. The airfare thing might be a sign that the airlines expected more strength by now and they have too much capacity so the ticket prices had to come down a little bit. Maybe that's part of it. Um, no prices, as you said, were still up. And then, uh, you know, the, the key to that number, uh, we had this discussion about how the average listing time was only one week, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, home prices, you know, feed into that as well, right? So home prices uh, for the, I think it's, been a lot consecutive quarters now. Uh, I don't know how many, but uh, they rose 16% year over year uh, for the month for the month of October uh, to 363,700 was the median single-family existing home price, um, and that was actually sorry that's the NQ3, um, so beginning of October. 
Uh, so that's a ridiculously high starting price for a single family home, kind of, if you would, if you will, the entry price. Um, and then like you said, Brian, I mean, it's, even though it's slowed a little bit, which we've talked about before, uh, it's still been a very competitive and a very fast paced real estate market with um, homes only lasting on the market, for, you know, for a week in some cases. So you have a lot of buyers that feel compelled to put in an offer in some cases, put in an offer above the asking price because they're afraid to uh, get outbid. And I think, you know, I think almost everyone's probably heard a story about, you know, someone who's looking for a house, they get outbid the first house, the second house, and the third house, they just throw out a ridiculously high price because they want to try to, you know, get a house and they're tired of being outbid. So, um, you know, I think that will slow down. We talked about how some of the banking um, people are doing mortgages um, and aren't just doing all upfront cash, um, that that process is slowing it down a little bit. So. I do see it slowing down slightly. It'll still be a hot market, but it, you know, maybe slowing down from from how um, hot it's been as of late. Yes, interesting. Well, and then uh, you know, the prices in many commodities are rising, including asset prices, homes, stock prices, other things, and increasing, uh, increasingly believed to be causing some of that is the money supply. Uh, we are going to have a very interesting discussion also on a future podcast with Dunn Capital Management. In which they have an analysis of money supply and money money supply and the money velocity. So supply has dramatically risen and velocity has dramatically fallen. So there's so much money out there that's just pushing prices up, and it, and and some of it's sitting in banks, but then it's still pushing prices up. Milton Friedman, the famous University of Chicago economist, the father of the Chicago School of Economics, monetarist theorists who talk all about money and money pushing prices around, uh, talked about how um, inflation is really a monetary phenomenon. It's just purely a supply and demand for goods based on the currency. So if anybody does a YouTube search and says Milton Friedman uh, infl on, on inflation, you'll see some of these interesting um, videos that he did years ago. We didn't even know what, what, what YouTube videos were back then, but they managed to get them on some sort of film, right? And so that's, that's out there now. And so he says, inflation is inherently a monetary phenomenon. Um, when there's more money chasing goods, and you have the same number of goods. And of course, now we're restricting uh, the manufacture of goods because we don't have as many people working. Uh, we're having trouble getting ships into ports uh, and all these things. So it's restricting supply. And then there's more money out there. So then it's natural that prices are going to go up. And Milton Friedman talked all about that. Uh, so... And then also we saw because of the disruption in the economy, the Atlanta Fed lowered the growth expectations from over 6% in the fourth quarter to 0.5%, which is a dramatic change, dramatically down. And so we've heard this term called stagflation and that would include inflation with a stagnant economy. Up until recently though, we've had a growing economy, a recovering economy, but in this quarter, it looks like we're having stagnation because the economy is slowing down. So now that we, you know, we might be in the middle of stagflation right now. So we'll see where that goes, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, like you said, exactly. I mean, I think the inflation um, problem is, isn't easy to solve. I think there's a lot of supply chain issues. And th this isn't just in the U.S., it's global, uh, that, that's for sure. But, you know, there are things that I think can be done to help alleviate certain areas of it. But 
Um, I think we're probably stuck with at least decently high inflation, at least for, you know, the near term um, until we see some of these supply chains really kind of start to iron out. And I think that's going to take a while. I mean, it's just, it's a bottleneck. Um, you know, we need, uh, the ports need to catch back up and, and it, it's, it's going to be, you know, maybe a year, maybe two years, who knows? Right. Well, and then the other discussion we were having was about the oil and energy prices. It's obviously affecting China, as we talked about before. Uh, the Biden administration, within one day of being in, in office, closed the Keystone Pipeline, you know, put 11 to 12,000 people out of work, but also dramatically changed uh, the amount of oil that's getting into the economy at a certain lower price. So now prices to ship oil through on trucks and trains and things like that are more expensive uh, than the pipeline. And so now there's rumors that pipeline, it's called pipeline number five that comes in from Canada through Michigan is also going to close. So we talked about you know the supply and demand effect. And when, when supply is restricted and the curve moves to the left, well, then all of a sudden prices go up in the curve. And so that's exactly what we're seeing. Now, <clears throat> there's been a discussion about how it's OPEC's fault. And in fact, uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm was on all the TV shows this weekend talking about how it's OPEC's fault and why we need to get them to, to you know, put more oil out there. They're being stingy with their oil. They wanna keep prices high. Well, I don't think it's actually uh, OPEC that's done any of that. Uh, they have capacity and they have the power to do something, but we're the ones that also have the power to do something. And we did it the opposite. So some member of the uh, Biden national security team said, you know, they should be using their oil to reduce oil prices, but they're really in business to make a profit. So they're trying to do the best they can for their investors as well. And that probably doesn't make sense for them to do that. Uh, by us restricting supply, primarily the United States caused that problem. We were the largest uh, energy producer in the world. Uh, we probably won't be when this year finally comes in as the numbers come out. Um, but there, there's a mismatch, as they say, between supply and demand, um, but it's not caused by OPEC. It was caused by our own people. So it's really quite a shame. Um, now you may believe in the, in the views of what they did, and you may have a political view that that's important to restrict oil, but nonetheless, to blame oil on OPEC is a mistake. Um, if they believe that oil prices should be higher and oil production should be lower, then just say that. I wish they would just say that, but they don't want to say that. They think it would be politically difficult. So they're not being straight with us, I believe. Uh, don't be fooled by what they said because it isn't really necessarily true. Well, and I think that, you know, what this administration has done, I mean, obviously they have, you know, you know, an agenda to try to um, move away from fossil fuels and to more renewable resources. And, you know, I think, you know, if you fast forward 50, 100 years from now, that's that's the way things are going to move up. But, you know, I think we also need a plan in that direction. And the plan can't be just to cut everything off immediately and try to, you know, get there in two years or five years. And I think, you know, the issue that I see with it specifically is, um, you know, by going in that direction, it's really going to have the biggest impact on uh, the lower lower middle classes, you know, because there's, those are the, the people that can't afford to maybe spring up and get like a hybrid car or an electric car or, you know, these things cost a lot of extra money, you know, in some cases $5,000 extra to go from a regular car to a hybrid version. So, you know, these are people that can't afford that. So, 
they have to rely on gas prices. And when gas prices go up to $5 a gallon, uh, it really hurts and it really uh, hampers what they, you know, how much they can travel and what they can do and where they can spend money. So, um, you know, I think that the plan needs to be better, um, you know, worked out as far as what the transition will be. And, and you know, as, you know, alternative resources or alternative energy uh, comes online, then to start drawing other things down. So I just think that they're trying to force too much through too quickly and there's not, not a thought given to the impact it's going to have financially on and specifically on the lower middle class. And many Americans and many people in the world community believe that clean energy, whether it be solar or wind or electric is better for um, us overall. And, and you can have that opinion. Uh, I believe that, I believe it's a good thing, but to do that overnight would be so disruptive. And it seems like they're trying to do something like that a lot quicker than the market can really handle it. So mm -hmm. there are now that oil goes to 125, or even breaks the uh, previous high in 2008 of $144 a barrel. And we would really hope that's not the case, but that could take oil prices well into the six, seven dollar, $8, $9, $10 a gallon uh, number. That would be very dramatic. Just by way of reminder, uh, the 70s oil crisis, when oil prices, West Texas Intermediate crude trading at $3 a barrel, then overnight, literally within two days, went to $18 a barrel, would be a six-fold increase. So if we're at $80 a barrel right now, it would be the equivalent of oil going to almost $500 per barrel. And then that would, you know, oil prices would soar, gasoline prices would soar. So even if we see them go into the mid-100s, it's going to dramatically change the cost, input cost of energy for all Americans. They already see those prices in Europe. And now we're starting to approach European prices at the pump, which is really pretty scary. Yep, it is very scary. So China, moving to China, China needs coal, another energy story. And because they really don't have enough coal in China, uh, they are closing plants sometimes one to two days a week because they can't afford the local coal. And it seems like an easy thing to do to trade American coal for goods. But again, if you're against coal energy, you don't do that. And I think that's what the administration is doing. Uh, so everyone's restricting coal. Uh, the Chinese economy is slow. We're seeing input prices go up. So, you know, it's a really difficult time for China. It's a difficult time for Asia. And now it's becoming increasing, increasingly a difficult time for America. So. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, I would say, I mean, it's, it's almost global, right? I mean, we're just seeing um, things are really tightening around the world. And you know, it'll be interesting to see what um, what the monetary policy looks like, because like I said, inflation is not something that's just in the U.S. And I think with the origins of it being from an energy and supply chain issues, uh, it's going to impact the global market. So, um, you know, we could see tightening in the EU as well. I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the different, uh, you know, economies and, and uh, monetary policy of these different nations react. Yeah. Well, um, let's move on to the what we see out there segment. Uh, we were looking at some discussions recently about Bitcoin, Chris, and and uh, now we have uh, two mayors now, new mayors, uh, new Mayor Adams in New York City and the mayor of Miami who said they're going to take their first salary in Bitcoin. So we've said this all along that until Bitcoin is something that's in our pockets that we spend when we go to the grocery store or the gas station, that's actually a currency. So until it's something uh, that we actually use every day, it's 
it's not really a currency. Um, and if it was a good currency, it wouldn't be um, so volatile as it is right now. The dollar is not that volatile. All the other currencies aren't that volatile. But maybe, uh, maybe this is a sign with two mayors taking their, as an example, taking their salary in Bitcoin. Although I hope they convert it to cash quickly because it's pretty volatile, isn't it? It's extremely volatile. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, Bitcoin, I don't know if we'll ever make it to being a, an actual currency currency as we use like the dollar for. Uh, but I, I look at Bitcoin more as like gold, as, you know, whereas it has some sort of value. Um, a lot of people have talked about it as a, a hedge for inflation because it is volatile and it does obviously move up uh, very quickly. And it's uncorrelated to the dollar for the most part. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting. It, the volatility on it would need to go to be essentially non-existent from where it's at now uh, levels to for it to become a currency. And, you know, we'll see. But it, that, that goes a long way. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I don't know what to make if that's a good thing or a bad thing if they want it in Bitcoin, because you would imagine them being the mayor. They'd won. They'd have faith in the U.S. government, and the dollar. Uh, so I don't know if that's uh, pessimistic on their part view. Maybe the mayors don't need their money that much, um, but uh, it, it probably ought to convert it to dollars pretty quickly. <laughs> Chris, you saw something about this new electric car company, uh, car company in China, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, interesting kind of talking once again about, you know, electric and um, energy. So Rivian is kind of the biggest um, you know, new IPO that's making a lot of um, waves out there. So uh, they're being compared to Tesla, some people are speculating that they're going to be the new Tesla. And off of that, uh, they jumped almost 30%, 29% on its IPO on, on the day of its IPO. And it's up an additional 16% since uh, it IPO'd on Wednesday. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of speculation out there now as investors, you know, trying to make bets. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. We saw this play out in the cryptocurrency market for a while. Um, and we're certainly seeing it play out maybe in the, in the stock market. You know, people are, you know, you have a lot of investors that are trying to find a new or an unknown stock or in, in the cryptocurrencies case, uh, you know, cryptocurrency and make that bet early, hoping that it's going to go to the moon. Um, and, you know, I think that's a, a, maybe a sign that we're, we're at that point where we have rampant um, speculation going on out there and you know it'll be interesting to see how it plays out you know it's it's appreciated so much you could easily state that it's overvalued um it could yeah. easily come crashing back down uh but only time will tell well i do remember a podcast the episode we did before with angus baker where he talked about all the gas and oil that's involved in creating electric cars so uh while we can certainly convert emissions uh, to being uh, to being minimal because of electric. There's still a lot of energy expended to create an electric car. Uh, so um, anyway, we'll see how that all goes and we'll see if it has the impact everyone expects. Um, the, the other uh, last thing I wanted to talk about was we did, there was the climate summit in, in Scotland. And uh, unfortunately our president got caught sleeping on the job. I think, he, I think he was napping for nine minutes. And of course the press made a big deal about it. Uh, but the more interesting thing was that China was a no-show. And they sent a short statement saying that we need to adopt climate solutions multilaterally, meaning between all countries, uh, while they are reopening their, their coal plants uh, and, and recommending others close their coal plants. So China uh, you know, has 
they, you know, they need more coal. Um, so they're kind of ignoring all the general climate views that people don't want to uh, burn coal. Coal is not clean. Clean coal has turned out to be an oxymoron. And uh, China, you know, everyone believes would never really meet the promises that they make. Uh, and in previous climate agreements we've had, uh, America has agreed to major restrictions and allowing other countries of the world uh, many, many decades to get to that same level. So um, it, it, you know, it's moving in that direction. Everyone wants a clean, you know, clean climate, you know, clean air, clean water, uh, but it's not uh, being organized as equally among all the countries as everyone probably would like. So, um, you know, we're probably of the opinion that China will use the climate uh, regime to take advantage of that and try to take advantage and take market share from countries that are, are unilaterally cutting their, um, their emissions and therefore for increasing their costs. And so China would take a cost advantage and take advantage of that. Uh, that's what we think will probably happen, but who knows. But another big climate summit was held and a lot of good things were discussed, uh, but you know, no complete resolution that some of the big players weren't even there. So, um, Chris? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, the global warming or this climate problem, I think is the key is it's global, right? We all, you know, everyone's got a cut. And I think, you know, just by nature of their populations, you know, India, China are, are going to be the biggest ones that have to, you know, make cuts to their um, yeah, output. So uh, I don't know. I don't, you know, who knows? You'd hope, but I don't foresee China kind of making that sacrifice, if you will, for the global good. And India is still very up and coming. And I think it's going to be hard for them to make those sacrifices as well. And then I think you have the outlier in OPEC, who's pretty much come out and said they weren't, you know, going to, or they don't see at this time, they said kind of politi politically correct way um, to deviate away from, um, you know, oil or fossil fuels. Um, and I don't see Russia either. So, you know, it's until they find kind of a resolution for this and whether that is, you know, a concerted effort of all the, the other nations, you know, tariffing them or, or something, um, you know, until it escalates to that point, I find it hard to believe that some of these countries that have huge economic, um, uh, inputs really and huge economic uh, outputs for from these uh, cutting it or doing any you know anything with their production of, of oil or any fossil fuels. Yes. Well, uh, Chris, thank you. And since uh, since the last podcast, we had an election uh, as a midterm, uh, not a midterm even. It was uh, an interim election. Uh, there were a couple of governors' races, New Jersey and Virginia, uh, and, and most of the action happened on the. Republican side, and I would say that, you know, uh, clearly uh, by the president's poll numbers, his poll numbers are very, very weak. Um, you know, they, there's more and more concern about the economy, about the border and certain things that are going on politically. And whenever the president is weak and our, and our leadership is weak, uh, it, it affects the economy, it affects what people think of us, it affects their willingness to work with us. So um, we want things to get better. We hope things get better. As we talked about years ago when Brexit happened, and then uh, with the election of President Trump, there's times when, when the politicians are not listening to the people, and when they don't listen to the people, then the people rise up and go in a different direction. And we think that's what we saw that election night. And uh, then we'll see how that plays out in the economy. Certain states now are going back to more capitalistic 
uh, freedom uh, policies as compared to things that were going on during the pandemic. So um, politics and economics are always intertwined uh, for sure. And we saw kind of a big sea change uh, that night um, on election night. So maybe that sea change will continue during into 2022. Many of the policies of the current administration are not well liked by the economy. Uh, although the markets keep going up and we think that as Milton Friedman said, is a, is a monetary phenomenon where there's just so much money out there chasing assets so the markets keep going up. So we hope, uh, we hope the markets continue to do well over time and we don't see a big decline, but everyone should be ready. There always are pullbacks in the, in the market. We should be prepared for that. Not that we should be worried about it, but we should certainly be prepared and ready at some point for the market to either correct or go into a bear phase at some point. So anyway, um, right now things are all on offense. Things are moving in the right direction, at least in the markets. Economy will be weak this quarter. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Chris, I think, uh, I think that's all I have today. Yeah, no, I think that about covers it. All right, well, let's leave it there. And, and thanks everybody um, for our whole four-star team. We have Laura, Chris, Christine, Fred, and Jack in Chicago, our East Coast team, Tucker, Karen, Brian, thank you for being with us again on the Four Star Podcast and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC-registered investment advisor, maintains a principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's Form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov.